Welcome to the Investor Coaching Show, a podcast to help you get an insider's view of the financial world and escape common investment traps. We look at the financial news of the day and help you make sense of it so you can relax about money. And here's your host, Paul Winkler. All right, we are back here on the Investor Coaching Show. I am Paul Winkler. Talking world of money and investing here with the one and only Dr. Art Laffer. The supply got, you know, trickle down. You probably hated that I know term. I don't Did hate you not that. hate no, that I, term? Hey, hey, just as long as they don't say my mom's a bad word or something, you know, I'm okay with any. You can call me anything you want, but you know it's right. Yeah, I know it is. Everyone knows it is. I know it is. But, Even but they socialists. have to demonize it. Can I tell you the socialist one? What's that? You know, socialist, Fabian socialist. I mean, way out there. I tried to figure out what was the most Fabian socialist state in America. What's, what is it? Massachusetts. Has to be. Yeah, yeah. And then I tried to find the most Fabian socialist city in Massachusetts. Cambridge. Okay. Has to be. That makes sense. Then I had to find the most Fabian socialist institution in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Okay. Harvard. Of course. And then I had to find the, the Fabian Socialist Department in Harvard in Cambridge in Massachusetts. And, of course, it's sociology. Okay, sociology. Sociology <laughs> department. Then I had to find the most Fabian Socialist moment Okay. of the sociology department, Harvard University, Cambridge, Massachusetts. Okay? And it was. And uh, I found this moment. And so I went home, and I got a pillowcase, and I stuffed it full of $20 bills. Okay. Tied it pink. I got it, went out to Nashville Airport, flew to Logan. Uh-huh. Got off there, took an Uber to Harvard. I walked over to the uh, to the sociology department there. It was right on the green there. Was the moment was Bernie Sanders was giving a speech. Oh boy, he was just finishing his speech. All the people with their hair flopping, drowned up. Oh, just all wild and crazy out in the front lawn. Elizabeth Warren was there doing an Indian dance. I mean, oh. it was just amazing <laughs> of all this sort of. So I took a little wooden chair. I unfolded it. I took it over there downwind. Uh-huh. And I took my pillowcase <laughs> and undid it. And they all were screaming and hollering, you know, for everyone equal all to him, tax the rich, you know, the top one. Oh, it was everything perfect. And he finished, the cheers were up. And I took my pillowcase full of $20 bills, blew yeah, it yeah. up in the air, and the $20 bills floated over the crowd and then sank in the crowd. 30 seconds later, there wasn't a $20 That's bill. That's what anywhere. we call a teachable moment. A teachable moment. Even lefties love incentives. Yeah. They, they picked up every – that's why I know we're going to win. Right. The only thing you can rely on is whether you hate them or not, incentives matter. And they determine what happens. Even with super lefties, there is no socialist alive in his heart or her heart. So you are optimistic. Two we guys are going to get and a pretty girl – Socialists, they'll fight to the death for the pretty girl, just like we would. Right. So, so it's, it's just human nature to well, be. Well, you're the eternal optimist. So you're you're well, it's literally. Not optimistic. Do you think I'm wrong on that? No. I, if I th- you drop a twenty dollar bill, do you think a socialist would pick it up? My audience in a knows. Heartbeat. My audience knows. I always say that that optimism is the most rational thought process. You see, going. I don't want to be optimistic or pessimistic. I want to be realistic, and I think I'm realistic. Sooner or later, think, all the socialist countries collapse. Optimistic. They all collapse. I got a question for you. Sure, please. So, so tariffs. Yes. Uh, you know, this is something that was used pretty significantly through our history. Uh, the Great Depression. We go back to the Depression. 
What were some of the mistakes of the Depression? Also, I want you to comment on some of the more recent tariffs and whether you agreed with them, disagreed with well, them. Well, let, let me, let so me start, start with off the with the history. The tariff yeah. was a revenue-raising source for the federal government, and it was a broad-based tax that it was done there. And in that sense, as long as you need money for the government, that was as good a way to raise money as any. It wasn't a protectionist type of tariff. Mm -hmm. It was a revenue-raiser to run government. That is, uh, once you get to the Great Depression, uh, what we did was – in 1913, they supposedly put in the income tax mm -hmm. to offset a tariff, to right. reduce tariffs, and it was a trade-off there. Mm -hmm. uh, but 1929, uh, we had something proposed in the House and the Senate called the Smoot-Hawley Tariff, which was the largest tax increase on traded products in U.S. history. Mm -hmm. It passed the House and the Senate in the fourth quarter of 1929 and then was signed into law of June 1930 by Herbert Hoover, and, of course, the economy just went straight down. The stock market fell by 35% in the fourth quarter of 1929. I mean, it went on down to fall to, by almost 95%. Well, right, in anticipation. And, well, it did it. It's yeah, just, it, yeah, it did it in anticipation. Then the crash came. And with the crash, of course, by then, at that time, we were collecting money only in April for the previous year's income. So we had no problem in 1930 because there was no the revenue came from the revenue 29, had come down. Yeah, yeah, and then sure. 1931 in April, no revenue came in. The big panic in the federal government. We right. got, we need to make the U.S. economy sound. We need to, we need the federal government to be solvent. All that stuff. Yeah. They raised the highest marginal income tax rate on January 1st, 1932. Now think of this. They raised it from 25% to 63%. They raised it again to 79% on January 1st, 1936. On up to 94% in 1944. 94. Every dollar you earned, you were allowed to keep six. And you'll wonder why it was the longest, deepest depression. They put in the capital gains tax and unearned income tax. They put in the death tax. They put in the gift tax. They put in uh, a, a retained earnings tax, 12.5% per year. Right. I mean, if it crawled, they taxed it. If it flew, they <laughs> sure, taxed it. If sure. it swam, they taxed it. If it, if it if it ran, they taxed it. If it slept, they taxed it. They, they taxed sure. every. And, of course, it was the longest, deepest depression ever because of taxes pure and simply. Taxes first on traded products mm -hmm. and then taxes on income and they just knocked the whole system on its ass. And the great, the World War II, the recovery. Right. Not. No. Yeah. You, you point real that out wages, well in your book. Yes. Real wages, consumable wages had regressed to back where they had been a century earlier. You people worked. Well, you had they the deflation during the depression and people's incomes actually went up because the dollar bought more because of the deflation. Oh, it was insane. It was the whole thing was a terrible thing there, uh, and uh, even when we came out of World War II, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, we passed three cut tax cuts. Uh, all three Truman vetoed. All three did. Thank God, the third one that he vetoed, the Senate and the House passed it over his veto and got the rate from ninety-four percent down to eighty-two percent. Yeah, and then we had a little recovery there, and then he raised it because of the. Korean War, be raise it back up to 92%. Right. And then Eisenhower left it there for the full eight years of Eisenhower. What a loser that guy was. So so the, then you have tariffs in general, um, protection type Well, tariffs. protection and tariffs are not synonymous. I was going to say, what is your opinion on that? Well, yes. you know, a low-rate, broad-based, flat tariff is a, a, a reasonable revenue raiser. Low-rate, broad-based. Okay. You know, same thing for an income tax, same thing for a sales tax, any of those low-rate, broad-based. So you provide people the least incentives to evade, avoid, or otherwise not report the taxable income. Yeah. And you give them the least place. But once you start protecting things, then you screw up the whole efficiency of the economy and you don't get the revenues. Right. And that's exactly what Smoot-Hawley was. 
if you looked at that legislation, I mean, it is amazing. Silk handkerchiefs with embroidery on the first three corners. and you, Each one of these things, thousands and thousands of categories with different tariffs on them and all of it. It was just the worst ever. It was a big orgy on businesses trying to protect Well, you themselves. talk about art and architecture and all of that, how they spend all this money on this great art and architecture. But the reality of it is the private sector did that kind of thing anyway. You know, you talk about that in the book. Question for you regarding this. I've got, you know, it's something that from a financial planning standpoint. Well, I thought people, you were going to have me in tariffs on what my, about right now and sanctions on China and Russia and yeah, tariffs. Yeah, go ahead. Well, of course you, you shouldn't first. do that. Of course you Sanctions and tariffs are not political weapons against I adversaries. I was curious what you thought about you know, that. Okay. You know, you've got the Bhagwati theorems, which is if you've got a problem, uh-huh. use a direct cure, not an indirect cure. If you've got a problem at the border, uh, if you've got a problem perfectly reasonable to use tariffs. But if you've got a drug problem, let's say with fentanyl, yes, don't use border taxes to try to interdict it. No, uh-huh. you've got to cure the demand. Believe me, if you cure if you demand. try to correct yes. it at the border, you're just going to bid the price up and it will ultimately guarantee it'll make it. So how do you cure the demand for these products? Like, well, let for me example, give you an China. example in drugs. I mean, private uh, have the government supply freely uh-huh. uh, all drugs if you can prove you're a drug addict to the government. But you can't take any drugs out with you. you got to go in there, get your dose, and then you can leave. Mm-hmm. So you take away the whole market for pushers, sure. and drug pushers. You can eliminate it. That's the you way to solve out of it. Yeah. All right. But you've got to eliminate the demand for the drugs. That's what's right. We have a consumption problem with drugs, well, how not about, a production problem. Well, how about the demand for Chinese products, though? You know, for example. Wonderful. What's wrong with yeah. Chinese products? Well, certain ones that are they're, they're worried about regarding prescriptions, those types of things, uh, sensitive so things. If you've like, got a problem uh, that you're going to deal with every country the same way on mm-hmm. prescriptions or whatever it is, fine. I would not. I would perfectly willingly agree with you. We should not sell nuclear weapons to Kim Jong Un. Yeah. Okay. Technology products, things like that. Well. You know, technology like a radio? Right. How about like shoes? Uh, what, where do you, what you want to do is make sure you maintain trade because trade is much more. Do you like your customers? Yes. Everyone obviously. does. Yes. You know, what you want to do is you want to make sure that they like us, we like them, we meet together, we have birthday cards, we explain to them that what they're doing with the Uyghurs is incorrect, please mm-hmm. change your ways mm-hmm. and work logically. And they might just have some suggestions for us too. Yeah. You know, investments of Chinese investments in the U.S. God bless you. The more investments China has in the U.S., the less likely they are to bomb us. <laughs> you know, who wants to kill their customers? True. You know, we need to trade with Russia, with China, with Iran, with uh, with North Korea. We need to. Now, I think very seriously they're bad people. Their governments aren't good. Right. I mean, but that's why we have a defense department and a state department. <laughs> I believe strongly in the Reagan doctrine. You know, peace through strength. Right. Uh, and strength means a big defense budget. You know, I'm, I'm a real Kennedy guy, so forgive me on this. Uh, <laughs> but the best form of defense spending is always wasted. Whenever you find yourself in a situation where you were required to use your, 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 uh, your military hardware and prowess, uh-huh. that is a clear sign you did not spend enough. Mm. I want to be so heavily armed point. that no one will ever attack. Do you think Star honestly, Wars? It made me think of Star Wars. Well, yeah, Star Wars was Reagan. That yeah. was it. And by <laughs> exactly. the way, did we have a war? <laughs> no. Did we have a war right after no, Trump they, they left? They spent themselves into oblivion because they were afraid of what was coming their way. Yeah. Do in, you in think? Sure. Do you think Russia would have gone into Ukraine if Trump had still been no, president? Lord, no. no. I mean, you know, what you want to do is you want to make sure you're the strongest. But don't mess around with tariffs. Don't mess around with quotas. Don't mess around with all the other stuff. 
Just build a strong defense. I want to say, next thing I want to switch to right after this break, and this will be the final segment, but I want to talk a little bit about your thoughts regarding consumption taxes and the likelihood of these consumption taxes. Let's do that right after this. You're listening. I'm excited. Good. You are listening to the Investor Coaching Show. Hey, folks, I want to tell you something I'm really excited about. My new book, Confident Financial Planning, is finally out. It's in paperback, hardcover, Kindle version, and I actually have an audiobook version of it. It talks about building your financial castle. I use that throughout the book, talking about your investments, your financial plan is kind of like a castle. You have your savings and your emergency funds. I talk about that, debt, good debt, bad debt. I talk about special goal funds and how to set those things up and how to invest for those types of special things that you might want to do in the future. Types of retirement accounts, different types of taxation of investment accounts. Talk about real estate investing and pros and cons of that, how to project retirement assets, and your moat. You know, that's how you protect your castle. It's the risk management aspect of a financial plan. You want to find out more about that? You go to paulwinkler.com forward slash book to get it. And uh, hope you enjoy. All right. We are back here on the Investor Coaching Show, and I'm Paul Winkler, along here with Dr. Art Laffer. If you've heard of supply-side economics or the great boom that occurred in the 1980s, Ronald Reagan, you know Dr. Art Laffer's work because he was his economic advisor. And that's what we're talking about right now is tax policy. Now, one of the things that, you know, in financial planning, big, big push out there, and I tell people, really be be careful about this, is convert your IRAs to Roth IRAs. Pay the taxes now because tax rates are going to be higher in the future. And one of the things I have this uh, little bit of an inkling about is the possibility of the government saying, hey, let's reduce the tax rates, but then we'll do give you something in place of that, consumption taxes, so as to make sure that we still have revenue coming in. But that's how they'll sell it, is lowering those tax rates. And then you will have paid taxes at a higher rate right now on your IRAs, just to avoid a lower rate in the future. I don't trust necessarily government policy, and I'm curious what you well, think about Not trusting the government is a sign of intelligence. <laughs> Uh, but let me let me do two things. One yes. is the consumption tax, which yeah. I, I I'd love to talk to you about that. Yeah. And the other one is let's talk about global warming and a, and a carbon tax. All right. Because both those are really big deals. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's no difference between an external and an internal tax or a direct or an indirect tax. Mm-hmm. You know, what's the difference if I tax you 50 percent of your income? All right, and that's it. Mm-hmm from dollar one to dollar n, mm-hmm. or if I put on a sales tax of 100% add-on sales tax. Mm-hmm. They're both the same. The reason you earn income is to buy goods and services. Right. And if you tax it at income, it's same as taxing when you buy it. The, the, those problems, the only thing that's different about these consumption taxes versus income taxes versus value-added taxes, mm-hmm. and they're all three very similar, yes. is how much, how expensive is it to collect it? Right. Then what you want to do is get the least cost to collect in the taxes so that you have the most left over. Okay. That's all I would argue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I did Jerry Brown's flat tax, as I mentioned, uh, when he ran for president. And, you know, I used a, a, an income tax and a VAT rather than a consumption tax. A value but added tax. Yeah. When, 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 uh, uh, when uh, whatchamacallit came, who was the 999? Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, Herman Cain. Herman Cain. Yes, Herman. Yes. When he came to my office, heard my proposal with the two taxes, <laughs> he took his uh, consumption tax and added, made three taxes, yeah. which he added up as a 999 instead of... Yeah, for of, sure, sure. Right. Know, but 
Uh, same difference. It, it doesn't matter except for the cost of collection. Yeah. And that's the only thing I'd look at. And there's not going to be a hell of a lot of difference in the cost of collection. Let me go to carbon taxes. Right. Do you believe in global warming? Do I believe in it? You know, I've, I remember global cooling in the 1970s. They said we, the satellite data said we were going to have an ice age. And they still I do, think the climate's the always changing. Yeah, well, yeah, it does. I don't know whether there's global warming. It's way outside yeah, of my it's, ken. It's above my, I, it's above my, pay, my grade. pay grade, too. Yeah, now, there are exactly. people. Al Gore is one of my dearest friends. Okay. I did a blurb for his latest book called The Future. Uh-huh. Uh, there were three of us, E.O. Wilson, myself, and Berners-Lee, who did the blurbs there. He's a great guy, really a polymath. He believes in global warming. He thinks it's there. He may be right. Yeah. But let me just tell you, if, it, if there were global warming, how would you solve it? You do it two ways. You say hydrogen fusion. The way you, uh, you what, know, what you do is technology. you wouldn't worry about alternatives, private market. You okay. tax carbon. Uh huh. You tax carbon emissions. Now, why would you not want to tax carbon emissions? Because it'll kill the economy. Right. Boom. So Al Gore and I agreed on something yeah. on this. Yeah. What we agreed on is we'd have a carbon tax to change people out of carbon into none, but we would offset it with an income tax, dollar for dollar. Cut the income tax rate. Mm-hmm. So there's no net tax at all. I would go for a carbon tax over an income tax every day of the week and twice on Sunday. All you yeah. need to do is have a tax switch. You get rid of all of my complaints about a carbon tax, even though I don't know whether there's global warming right. or not. I don't. I do believe that the chances of having too much carbon in the atmosphere is higher risk than too little carbon in the atmosphere. Well, it is fascinating the way taxes have actually driven technology in different areas. They do and everywhere. All, yeah, and, and all of a sudden it starts to people. And th- that brings up another topic as real quickly before we finish is AI. Uh, you know, people say that the Industrial Revolution is where you actually replaced work, which was physical labor, and now you have machines doing the work. And, and a lot of people are very scared about this idea of artificial intelligence because you're replacing mental labor with machines, so oh, to speak. Oh, yeah, it's terrible to get all your goods free, wouldn't it be? Oh, my. It's like these people <laughs> who want to boycott Japan. We optimism on this. That's why well, I wanted yeah, Japan, to ask you. <laughs> they want to boycott Japan because they're selling goods too cheaply to us. What? Right. If you find a store that sells you high-quality products at low cost, would you shop there or not? Yes. Would you love that store? Yes. Of course. If Japan said, oh, America, we love you so much, we're going to give you all of your our cars free of charge to you. It's a gift just to tell you how much we're No, you dirty bastards. We're going to bomb you for that. How dumb can Americans be? You know, it, cheap imports are wonderful for us. They provide us with a much better standard of living at lower work effort. It's, you know, the world about around us is not about jobs. It's about consumption. Yeah. And if we could get all the things we want to do for free, We'd have schmooze. Remember little Abner schmoo, Alcap schmooze? Yes, yes, if yes, we got yes. Schmoo- Would you kill all the schmooze because they took away people's <laughs> jobs? And they eliminated hunger, poverty, despair, and racism, and everything else in this trade? <laughs> Are you going to be able to get people's attention in Washington Am regarding I? this? Well, you tell me that. Have I ever had any effects in Washington? Yes. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Maybe again. Maybe you can again. Maybe. I like it. <laughs> have you known any other economists who has? Uh, yeah, I suppose. No, not many. Well, I, I, mean, I, I wasn't thinking positively. I was thinking Keynes. Well, Keynes, Keynes did, but he didn't actually do it. <laughs> well, okay. You know, when you look at that stuff, you know, all over, everyone talks transparency. All these things are all supply-side economics and how to solve the problems there. And one thing you can see about me, and I know we're coming to the end, is I hate losing. Uh-huh. And I love winning. Well, that's what is inspiring about Prop you. Prop 13 
Reagan's tax cuts, Thatcher's tax cuts, Chile, uh, Argentina, when we did the whole stuff there, we did all the stuff in the states. Look at Tennessee here. It's just phenomenal what's happened here in Tennessee. We got rid of the gift and estate tax when I got here. We get rid of the hall tax, and now we're going to put in a property tax limitation into Tennessee to make it the perfect state. I love winning and I love winning only if it's the right thing to do. It is an example around the country that you wonder why other states don't look at that and say, this makes sense. Do they not want to grow or what? Well, they do. It's just not on? all of them. Well, just not all of them. Well, Texas is doing pretty well. Florida's doing all right. Well, that's true. No, Nevada's doing all right. New Hampshire's okay. South Dakota's, you can't, can't knock them for that. I mean, what else do you want? We can't explain California, though. Yes, oh, we Winkler can. I can explain Fester it if Cono. you want it. One second. Oh, one second. All right. Prop 13 is a property tax limitation. Uh -huh. If you buy a home, you're guaranteed on low taxes on that home forever. 2% maximum growth in tax bill, 1% maximum limit on there. Unearned realized capital gains non-taxable. When you sell the house, you get a $500,000 exemption. It's preferred income. And if you happen to die and pass it on to your state, you get a stepped up basis. It's the breathing hole that allows prosperity to exist in California's Prop 13. If they get rid of that, they're dead. They're West Virginia in six weeks. Dr. Art Laffer, Paul Winkler, he is the writer of the book, Taxes Have Consequences. You need to check this out at your local bookstore. Thank you so much Thank for coming you, Paul. on. Thank you, very much. Right. Good to see you, sir. Pleasure. Thank you. Hey, this is Paul Winkler. Hope you enjoyed today's edition of the Investor Coaching Show. You want to learn more about what we do, go to our website, paulwinkler.com. You can watch some of the videos there, and if you're not already a client, you can set up a free initial consultation. Until next time, I'm Paul Winkler, reminding you that I believe that more educated investors are more confident investors, and confident investors are more successful investors. Have a great one. Advisory services offered through Paul Winkler, Inc., PWI, an investment advisor registered in the state of Tennessee. PWI does not provide tax or legal advice. Please consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your particular situation. This information is provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any securities.